You're listening to The Mumbrella Cast. The Mumbrella Cast. Welcome to the Mumbrella Cast. I'm Damien Francis, and joining me to break down the week in media and marketing is Olivia Crimmel. Hello, Damien. Xander Wilson. Hey, Demo. And for the first time on the Mumbrella Cast, Emma Shepherd. Hello, hello. Later in the Mumbrella Cast, Xander will be talking to OMD CEO Amy Buchanan about. Omnicom's ongoing success and balancing transparency with profits. The legacy that you know, Lee, Cody, Hogs have left behind is a business that truly cares about its people and is willing to do the right thing by them um, and isn't pushing for unrealistic growth. The importance of employee agility and redeploying team members from the Qantas count to other areas of the business. If one team's doing it really tough, how are we leaning in to support that? And how are we galvanising around where the need is? And, and I think the team have just been so incredible. And why OMD won't be pitching out of Melbourne for the next year. Yeah, we, we've had big wins this year, but we're not pitching out of Victoria for the next 12 months. Our focus is bed in the VicGov, deliver on our commitments to that client. But first, the week's topics. State of Origin delivers the top rating program of 2021 to date for nine. Harper's Bazaar returns to the Australian market. And Howitson and White continues its growth with highs across two markets. State of Origin returned to screens last night with Game 1 of the 2021 series, seeing the Blues smash the Maroons 50-6, delivering the number one rating program of the year to date for nine. Xander, we expect nine to dominate nights like last night with a product as strong as Origin, but how did Game 1 perform compared to recent years? Yeah, so I imagine um, they woke up at nine this morning pretty relieved to see the ratings come in at, at a fairly healthy 1.911 million Metro viewers um, across the five markets, and, and that number ballooned out to 2.708 million nationally. Now, that Metro figure was up on the 1.598 million who watched Game 1 last year, and that was actually the lowest Metro audience for any State of Origin game since 2001. It is worth remembering that there were a few mitigating factors last year. Uh, most of Australia had come out of lockdown in the months prior, and, and there were probably more likely people watching more in pubs than at home. The series was also after the NRL season had completely ended, so you imagine November the, last year, right? Yeah, it was. It was. It was in November, and it's never been in November before. Um, based on the ratings last night, you'd imagine it probably won't be again. But but given the season was over, the NRL Grand Final was over, footy season was over. Um, you know, there, there were mitigating factors. It really last year didn't have that same sort of origin feel on a cold winter's night. You know, people watching at home on TV, um, in their lounge rooms, feel as as it normally would. But having said all that, um, that metro figure being just shy of the 2 million metro viewer mark it was down on 2019's ratings which are arguably the most fair comparison uh, on the ratings here Uh, so game one in 2019 had 2.178 million metro viewers Uh, so yeah a little bit down on that i imagine nine will be hoping that as the series goes on they'll be able to to crack that 2 million mark but but the fall in the ratings there, although it's not massive, is in line with what we've seen over the last few years with, with falling linear, linear metro ratings. Yeah, absolutely. It was played in, in Townsville. They had to make, do a very quick uh, turnaround to, to make sure that Origin could still actually run. It wasn't a massive drop compared to 2019 when, when you think about it, just over the, the two mil mark, just under the two mil mark this time around. 
Do you think Nine will be concerned at all about about the figures that we saw? I, I wouldn't say so because I think it's probably in line with what they expect. It's obviously some of those viewers have gone over to watch the stream on, on Nine Now. Last year, Nine Now in, in the stream in the first game of the year had all sorts of technical issues. Uh, so we didn't hear anything, any reports out of it like that last night. And, and I did speak with some media buyers earlier in the week about, you know, why they believe linear ratings are on on this downward trajectory, um, and and they all believe that yes, you know, viewers are going over to BVOD, viewers are streaming. Um, you know, it's not necessarily a reflection on the strength of the product. Or the other thing to note last night is that Nine had four streams over on Nine. Now they had the normal match stream. They had sh- two streams of different player cams that just focused on individual players. They had a coach cam, and then you could have, as you did, could last year, just watch the whole game using Spider Cam. I'm not sure why you would watch the whole game on Spider Cam. Maybe if you're an NRL coach looking for tactics. But yeah, I'm not sure Nine will be too concerned with those figures, though they might be more concerned about the scoreline if this series ends up being a massive whitewash. It's unlikely to see those figures really bump up for the next two games. Hey, it may make game two even more interesting to people from New South Wales and Queensland in terms of can Queensland bounce back? Can New South Wales just finish it off now? But in terms of those declining numbers... Yeah, we were looking at it as well in in terms of what we've seen from overall programming. Uh, And when you compare it to some of the other programs on the plate in terms of the downward trajectory we have seen from them, this isn't quite at that level uh, of some of those where we've seen massive drop-offs and, hey, that could be COVID-related, that could be time of year related. This seems to be a, a bit different. What were those media buyers saying about that as well? Were there any sort of patterns that we're picking up from this? Yeah. So, I mean, effectively, the consensus was that it's not really fair to compare 2021 ratings to 2020 ratings. We should just ratings. write that off, essentially. We, we can almost just write that off. And, and if you take 2020 out, you see a fairly steady slowish downward decline over the last half decade or even longer. Um, the other thing they said is that, you know, it's it's really difficult at the moment for the industry. And, and interestingly, I was at seven yesterday, um, you know, chatting with them about ratings and other things like that. And, and, you know, the same things keep coming up is that how can how can we get a true and clear picture um, of who is watching at the moment without having a metric that the industry can use to measure BVOD and to measure live streams that go on at the same time as linear TV? And the answer is just that we can't. Uh, look, we are expecting Voz to come out later this year. Speaking to some of the media buyers this week about Voz, they were a bit split down the middle about whether it will really change things. Um, so Nick Durant from Magna told me that effectively – he and Magna don't actually really look at linear overnight ratings when they buy anyway. They only buy on consolidated. And for Voz to come in and for them to start using that to buy, they'd actually have to change the way that they buy entirely and the, and the way the industry buys entirely. So it's, it won't be as simple as Voz comes in, um, we'll get a clear picture the next day, the way that media buyers and planners buy will change immediately. It'll be a slow process even when that's in and we don't even really have a date on that yet either. Absolutely. Uh, and just moving on to something slightly attached to Origin, uh, of course, was the running of nine state of originality competition uh, for the creative sector too. We've been focusing a, a bit on the, the media buyer just then, but uh, tell us a bit about how that went. We saw the first ads last night. 
Yeah, so it's a concept that Nine announced at the back end of last year, and then we learn a bit more about earlier this year. So they're they're running a competition open to creative agencies around Australia and New Zealand. As we saw last night, there was an entrant from um, Colenso BBDO over there. Effectively, what Nine's trying to do is is turn you know State of Origin into Australia's Super Bowl. Uh, they're trying to get agencies to create Super Bowl-style moments and the winning ad will win a million dollars worth of uh, collateral and advertising across Nine's platforms. Uh, so last night we saw four ads highlighted by Nine. Uh, they'll be highlighting uh, a few uh, during each game. Last night we saw ads from TBWA, a new Tourism Australia, uh, Tourism, excuse me, from TBWA, there was a new South Australia tourism ad. That one's been running for a few weeks. The Colenso ad I was speaking about before is a Google ad, another one that we've seen running as well. There was a McDonald's spot by DDB, which was uh, playing off an, uh, an existing spot that's been around for a little bit, but with a state of origin twist. It was all these uh, fans leaving the game after origin and that sort of thing. And then finally, there was a Leo Burnett campaign for, for Bundaberg Rum. So Nine's plan is, as I mentioned, to roll out the other entrants uh, over the next two games. Um, Um, And the winner will take away that $1 million in advertising assets prize, which is pretty significant. Well, at least if the scores are a a bit uh, one-sided, then perhaps the the competition for creative might not be. Coming up next, Switzer Media and Publishing brings back Harper's Bazaar to Australia. Earlier this week, Hearst Magazines International announced that Harper's Bazaar will relaunch its iconic glossy magazine in Australia via Switzer Media. The debut issue of Harper's Bazaar Australia, a special collector's edition, will hit newsstands in September this year. This morning, the title revealed that Eugene Kelly will return as editor-in-chief. Emma, with all due respect to print media, why on earth would a media business be committing to relaunch a print title in a declining print market that is already struggling from a pandemic? Definitely sad uh, last September coming from Bauer um, and, you know, that magazine closing as well as a couple of other titles as well. Um, I think it definitely had a huge following in Australia, um, so... It was quite devastating, to say the least. Um, But obviously, I think um, from a revenue point of view, um, obviously ad sales weren't doing very well. I think they lost three quarters of their um, ad revenue in this COVID-19 pandemic last year. Um, Most of their sales came from magazine bundles um, from airports. So with obviously a lot of international and domestic travel not happening last year, um, I think that's, you know, the main reason why they closed. Uh, the fact that this small boutique kind of agency kind of took on the brand, I think is an amazing opportunity um, for Harper's Bazaar, just because, um, you know, they've already kind of cemented um, and have a really amazing digital footprint with Rush magazine, which has been around for about 2000, since 2004. Um, obviously, I think coming from Bauer and just seeing how they worked, you know, amazing print but you know it is it is a digital world and that's you know evolving and I think that this company can really help shift the magazine from print um, and kind of give it more of a digital footprint uh, to survive in the media world. I mean like you said uh, we expected Harper's May return uh, and of course then Bauer became R and that didn't happen after that it kind of dropped off the radar Switzer has now picked it up and for those who are familiar 
with Switzer, they'll probably be familiar to the extent that it's it's essentially a financial group and, and it provides financial uh, p- publishing uh, as well and some really interesting um, conversation and analysis uh, around finance. But to your point before, Emma, uh, they are also partners in Rush. Uh, this is another, uh, I guess, toe in, in the water uh, in a different sector. But what is it that makes this, uh, I guess, different to uh, what it was at Bow before? What's the opportunity here really for Switzer with Harper's Bazaar? I really think that, um, you know, Bauer just isn't quite there uh, in the digital world. Um, they really need to kind of step up um, if they want to keep these these titles uh, going. Uh, definitely, I think, with the success uh, Maureen uh, has had with Rush, I just think that, you know, they have the skill set um, to really push that brand um, and make it more of a digital kind of platform uh, and cement that in a digital world rather than just in print. Um, I think that could really help uh, with, you know, the survival of the magazine that is an interesting point because obviously we've seen our media formerly known as bauer and and also pack mags when they uh, merged they've recently announced a new ceo jane huxley who has experience in digital uh platforms uh, spotify for example so i think they've noticed that that is a an issue for them going forward and they're addressing it with the you know appointment of her it will be interesting to see what she does in the next sort of three to six months um with what their platform is going forward from a digital perspective uh and of course emma you mentioned uh maureen before maureen jordan who's uh switzer media's uh publisher for harper's bazaar but Liv, I, I might throw this one to you as well you and i are both from a, a print media background way back when i'm not even going to try and uh remember when when that was it was too long ago Uh, but dinosaurs dinosaurs that's right do do you really believe that there is still an opportunity for print media i know a lot of people in that area are saying it's all about community and it's all about niche opportunities and there's still a market there but do you genuinely believe that there is still an opportunity for print media, even if it's part of a publishing strategy? Well, recent stats would indicate yes. And I actually had this chat with Steve Allen from Pima Media earlier in the year, and he said that specialist titles had increased their readership and their circulation throughout COVID because people wanted little luxuries and they had more time and they wanted escapism. So when you combine those factors that leads to a, an opportunity for publishers. And, and I think Harper's definitely has that cult following. Uh, there is, you know, questions around how it integrates its digital offering along with its print offering. That's something that they will need to address. Um, I was at a Mamma Mia event earlier this week and uh, Mia Friedman was very clear to point out that, you know, print has had its day. And I wonder why she would say that. <laughs> And that, you know, her obviously Mamma Mia's platform being purely digital um, has done really well and continues to expand there in particular. The event was about their You Beauty. And so it's I don't necessarily think, though, that it can completely replace print at this point in time, maybe in the future. 
But at this point in time, there's definitely still appetite from readers for a physical product. Um, how it's priced, how it's presented, how it is different to the digital offering or how those two interact and what benefits you get from from buying the physical version. Those are all good questions and that's something that these publishers need to think about. It'll be interesting to see if uh, the habit of going back into a news agency and buying off newsstands as well will uh, increase with uh, Harper's on newsstands in the market that they need to be in uh, as as well. Interestingly enough, I had a chat very recently with uh, Peter Slotterdite, the CMO of Koala. That chat's going to be out next week on the Mumbrella cast. And in it, we did spend uh, a, a little bit of time speaking about why he continues to want to invest in print with a brand like Koala. So that's a, it was a pretty fascinating chat. I, I won't go into much more detail aside to say listen to the Mumbrella cast next week on Tuesday when that drops. But coming up next, Howitson & White announces new hires across two markets. Recently launched independent agency Howitson & White has announced a string of appointments across both its Melbourne and Sydney offices this week. The appointments total 14 and include hires in the creative and strategy teams from a variety of brands and agencies. Liv, the Howitson and White train is picking up some significant momentum. Were there any patterns to these hires? Well, Sun Lee, who has joined as a senior account director from Telstra, was also previously at CHE Proximity, which is obviously where Howitson and White also worked prior to going out on their own. Um, they, Funny enough, they do have a non-complete with Clemenger Group. So staff currently at that former agency aren't actually able to join them, although there are quite a few staff who were made redundant uh, last year at Clemenger Group, which we've covered. So perhaps some of them have found their way to Howitson and White and rejoined the fold, so to speak. Uh, the agency now has approximately 40 staff across Sydney and Melbourne and they've still got 10 roles out to market. So they're definitely building uh, quite a substantial team. Um, they've recently moved into a new Sydney office and their Melbourne office is under construction. I'm actually heading to the new Sydney office in Surrey Hills next week to have a little look at that, which should be interesting. Um, of the other hires in the 14, uh, Elaine Lee and Jared Wicker have both joined as senior creatives from DDB Sydney and Catherine King has joined from Thinkabell. So some substantial talent there. So I guess the market uh, was on one note, maybe thinking that there'll just be a whole heap of people from CHEP running across. That doesn't seem to have been the case. Uh, there seems to be a variety of people from different backgrounds joining, but Doing the maths just then, you know, just over 40 people in the business, another 10 hires uh, about to be made. So that takes it to, to 50 plus people. What are they doing? <laughs> well, as we reported recently, they've kicked off work for Allianz, who was their foundation client, and they launched a, a new ad campaign, a new brand platform for them. Um, we understand that they've also won some significant work for a telco brand. Um, that's still under wraps, but we expect that to be announced early in the new financial year, followed by the new creative work for that shortly thereafter. So stay tuned for more on that. Um, Similar to the staff situation, there are restrictions on the agency from a client perspective as well with the non-complete with um, Clemenger Group. So it may be that they have some clients in the works, but 
for those reasons, they're just not able to disclose those at this point in time. But we are keeping an eye on them and, and also the client list going forward. So I'm sure there'll be more news on that in due course. And you've been speaking to uh, Chris Houtson a bit recently. Like you've said, we've covered a few of their stories. There's a lot of interest in market to try and figure out what they're doing, who they're hiring, who they're working with. This is why we keep speaking about it as well. There still doesn't seem to be, uh, I guess, a huge amount of clarity in exactly who they're working with and, and what they're doing, Allianz aside, uh, of course, uh, as you've mentioned. Uh, is there any more clarity around the, the, the business ethos, the business purpose, uh, what they want to achieve this year, what has has Howie dropped any nuggets of gold in these conversations with you lately? I think they just want to do it differently, and and that's the vibe that I get from both um, Chris and others I've spoken to. Is that having been in a big group and having been through a difficult period last year, and in particular at Chep. Uh, I see that they are looking at this as an opportunity to just do things differently, both for clients and for their staff. Coming up next, Xander Wilson chats with OMD CEO, Amy Buchanan. Time is running out for the July 2 deadline to get your first entries in for the Mumbrella Publish Awards. Why not throw your name in the hat for an opportunity to gain industry-wide recognition? There are 29 categories up for grabs and there's no better place to celebrate your team's achievements than at Australia's most prestigious publishing awards. Go to mumbrella.com.au forward slash publish awards for more info. So joining me on the Mumbrella cast this week is OMD CEO, Amy Buchanan. Thanks so much for coming in, Amy. Thanks so much for having me. Nice to have you in in person. You're one of the first few that we've done in person since COVID. How are things going at OMD so far this year? Yeah, it's been a cracking start to the year. I think we kind of came off Christmas a little bit exhausted like most of the industry and straight into sort of the final throes of the Vic Gov pitch, which we closed out in February. So it was sort of a fast start and um, yeah, we've been on a big transition for the last three or so months, bringing that in. Started officially last week. That's exciting. The first day we went into lockdown in Victoria. Oh no. (laughs) (laughs) It was a flying start. Yeah. And so are you guys, I mean, obviously not back in the office in in Melbourne, but are you all back in the office in Sydney full time or what's the situation? Yeah, we've moved, all three offices were back in and we were at as much as we could be at 100% sort of fixed seating. But yes, Sydney and Brisbane are still back in, Melbourne's obviously at home um, and we're hoping to get them back in as soon as possible. I think they just got into the throes of it. I think they were the last office back in. And, yeah, we've just been working through what that means for the future. And it's been good. It's been really nice having a run in. I think we're figuring out how it works in a new world and how we balance the sort of the need for flexibility but the need for connectivity. It's It's been a fantastic sort of experience, I think, to revisit all of the ways of working. Yeah, definitely. And um, when my colleague Britt Rigby uh, chatted to you last year, it was sort of just as lockdowns were starting and, and um, you guys had a chat about, you know, what it was like not only being in lockdown, but also being a new mother, a bit of this and a bit of that. How's the transition gone being back into the office, not just for yourself, but how are you seeing your employees sort of handle what is really quite a big change? We, we've, we've seen in other agencies and other areas of the media that, you know, they've sort of gone back with these hybrid models to help with the transition, but, but you guys haven't gone that way. 
that right? No, no, we have. We've, I mean, we eased everyone back in. We got everyone back in quite early because I think we felt that if we could have some connectivity, it would be good. Um, and it was, and we eased people in. And then I think what we've kind of discovered, and that was with flexibility, so we're working to a three, two, two week. I think the realisation has been that the guardrails of that maybe don't allow for true flexibility and what we're trying to work through is what does that look like in the future you know and you think about yourself you know some mornings I might have an 8am call I do that at home then I drive in and that's not in a guardrail of a 3-2 that's just making it work for your diary so I think what we're trying to do is understand how do we make that nuanced enough for the individual without killing the business in terms of, of ease of operation so big piece of work personally I'm sort of loving it, to be honest. My my At that point, I think when I was talking to Britt, my baby was only four months old. Wow. I was still – and I had a four-and-a-half-year-old who's now five-and-a-half and, and I was sneaking out the front door and come, going out through the garage and back in um, to, to sort of hide from the kids. But, look, now they're well and truly – they're like, are you in the home office or the work office today? So we're, we're, we're back, sort of back to normal from that front. Yeah, definitely. And you touched earlier as well on on starting the Vic government account. Obviously, that's, that's exciting, a, a big – Big process. Um, what can you tell us about the process of, you know, I guess putting together a team to work on an account like like that, something of that magnitude? Yeah, I think, look, going through the pitch process, we well and truly knew the complexity and scale that was going to be needed. Like the, you, you sort of don't embark on that journey without the realisation of what the end game looks like. Um, and we had a, a lovely moment of enjoying the win and that was sort of fantastic and that was really quickly into the throes of transitioning it. I think we set ourselves up really well for that in terms of just, you know, people lead each element. And then we were, we've recruited 60 people over wow, the last yeah, yeah. Um, roughly, what, like three months. They're all pretty much in. We're sort of backfilling a few roles. But it's it's been amazing. It's been hard to find, you know, necessarily the – you know, all the roles, but we've also managed to get some great people back from overseas. Uh, we've moved a lot of people around internally within within OMD who are kind of ready for that next step. The guys are, they're, you know, they're, they're pedals to the floor. There's a lot going on, but um, I think it's opened up a huge opportunity and the people who are working on that piece, piece of business, I think it's a very fulfilling piece of business to know that what you're doing makes a massive difference to society and, and makes Victoria... Especially at the moment, right? Yeah, yeah. You're kind of at the... At the, at the uh, the pinnacle of what that means for for Victorians at the moment, and I think as we get deeper into that, the work that we'll be able to do will be truly incredible. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously, more recently, and another big account win for you guys being Canva. Um, despite being founded in 2013, Canva really feels like it's begun to gain really big momentum in in recent years. And and um, and we've kept our eye on on a new international campaign they've rolled out recently. I don't know if you can speak to this at all, but but any word on when we can expect the Australian campaign to roll out? We literally just onboarding it as yeah. we speak. It it's one of the few wins that we've had locally that have come off a global connection. So it's a global piece of business which we've rolled out here. They've got massive ambitions for the Australian market. Obviously an Australian entrepreneurial business started here. It's fantastic to see that kind of do full circle and look look for growth in the Australian market. I think we're we're super excited to be working with them, not just because of amazing products and that sort of entrepreneurial spirit, but our values are really tightly aligned. And I think for us it was sort of a perfect match from that point of view. Yeah, so I guess when you're starting out working with the with a new account, how does starting off a new account with the business differ when when you're comparing, say, a global win to a local win? Mm. Look, I think a local win, it's all on you 
and it's kind of it's the chemistry, the dynamic of the team, the capability you put together. And that's very much bespoke for what you're doing here. With a global win, it's often linked to a higher order ambition. So you're, you're kind of laddering up to an overall vision that's coming either from the global business or from your global business. And that creates some simplicity in the, you know, single-minded, but it also creates complexity in that you're trying to work across multiple markets and get that alignment geographically. Uh, which you know has its own challenges. So there's kind of they're both just different. I think it's um, the, the the benefit of Canva was it was a really tight existing relationship. They wanted to extend that into Australia. Australia's a priority market, so that made a lot of sense. Whereas a local piece of business, you, you know, you're winning it winning it for yourself. Yeah, for sure. And you mentioned as well bringing some people across from other areas of the business for the Victorian government account. Um, I just wanted to ask. Obviously, OMD has the media account for Qantas as well. How has the team adapted while Qantas hasn't been flying as much? And was there movement across from the Qantas team to the to yeah. the, to Vic government? And and how's that team coped? And how have you coped as a business having a client that's really nowhere near their potential at the moment? Yeah. Look, I think when we hit March, April last year, there was a huge evaluation across the business on what what sectors would be really hardly hit and travel and leisure, obviously first yeah, go. Um, entertainment wasn't far behind and we've got a couple of big entertainment clients. Our sort of view at the time was we need to consolidate that resource to be where we need it. Other parts of our business were going, you know, very busy, the likes of Coles, Telstra, Suncorp, a lot of work happening. So we redeployed, I think we redeployed about 20 people in March last year. We also had a couple of big wins across the group with um, Johnson and Johnson and a few other things so we redeployed people into that as well uh, and we've continued to kind of keep that agility at the moment we've got people we've got six or seven people out of Sydney helping the Vic Gov team we've got people out of Brisbane helping the Vic Gov team I mean the 600 OMD is across the country so for me it's if if one team's doing it really tough how are we leaning in to support that and how are we galvanizing around where the need is and and I think the team have just been so incredible at um, leaning into that challenge and, and not letting their kind of fellow OMDers do it too tough in, in one particular area. Yeah, and uh, that just feeds into my next question. Uh, obviously, OMD has been really successful for, you know, the past, better part of the past 15 years. Do you think having that flexibility within your employees that they're more than happy to go, yep, yeah, no worries, I'll work here, I'll work here. Is that is that a big part of that? I think the the focus on people is a big part of it. And look, when I stepped into the the CEO chair five years ago, the thing that I knew I had on my shoulders is that this is a business that's looked after its people for so long. And it's easy to say that. It's really hard to follow through. Um, the focus has been on sort of sustainable growth. And, and I think that's led us to, yeah, we, we've had big wins this year, but we're not pitching out of Victoria for the next 12 months. Our focus is bed in the VicGov, deliver on our commitments to that client and have that client going, you know what, OMD said they would do this and they followed through. And that was the same in Sydney with Suncorp and it'll be kind of the – the. and what happens out of that is, A, you get to, to do what you say you're going to do and I think that's very fulfilling and the business sees that. But you're also not hopefully burning people out too much. So the focus on people has been enduring. I think the other um, key – there's kind of two more key ingredients – uh, one would be, I think everybody who sat in this chair from Lee Terry to Peter Horgan to myself hasn't had their eye on a two-year, you know, massive trajectory of growth. It's been about sustainable growth for the business for the long term and doing things the right way so we set ourselves up and that's been continued and I think we, we feel that in the business. And the final piece, I think, in the success of OMD has been 
the ability to build bespoke solutions for clients. It's really, sorry, it's it, a lot of agencies have success in bringing one massive client to the heart of the agency or building a separate entity that services that client. Our philosophy has been bring it all in, build a, the right team around it with the capability that client needs to service them, but cross-pollinate, learn and move people around as need be. And, and that's really hard to do at scale and I think, think look, we've had a great track record with that because we've, we've got an amazing team. Yeah, and you mentioned there are uh, hogs and, you know, we've seen the likes of James Greet, Mark Code sort of come through. Really a succession of, of leaders who, who, as you say, have fostered that growth. How, how has OMD perhaps compared to some of the other larger um, uh, companies there been able to get that succession planning right? How, how have you guys done that, do you think? Some of it's by chance, some of it's by luck, you know. I don't think, you know, if you'd asked me seven years ago, would I be sitting in this chair? Probably wouldn't have had no idea. You know, some of it in the right place at the right time. The focus on sustainable growth, I think, leaves you to driving for the business to be a better place when you leave it versus the best possible financial result it can be. And they're quite different things. Like I feel like the legacy that, you know, Lee, Cody, Hogs have left behind is a business that truly cares about its people and is willing to do the right thing by them um, and isn't pushing for unrealistic growth due to sort of a, a push coming from global. You know, it's it's grow at increments but do it in a way that makes the business better, that we're building capability and that we're giving back to our people and growing them. And and I, I like I truly believe that and I think my whole leadership team would say that that's kind of the responsibility we take each day. Yeah, and that, that people focus, obviously something that uh, we keep coming back to here. We've seen this year mental health has been quite a big topic. Uh, we here, we ran an umbrella session a few months ago on mental health. Um, there are people in the industry like Darren Woolley who are setting up, you know, mentoring areas mm. and that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, in regards to, to employee mental health, people have come out of COVID, they've suffered during COVID. Uh, what, what, what's OMD done for its employees that, that you've come out and, you know, a lot of them, most of them have stayed, right? Yeah. Yeah. Look, it was a really tough year on I think for everybody, I don't. I think there was a lot of adrenaline that caused us all to run, and you, you would have probably read. I've been reading a lot about sort of the surge mentality, where you're meant to go and then you're meant to pull back and kind of relax and ease yourself back into the next round. We just didn't get the benefit of that. It was very quick, reactionary, and I think so much adrenaline left led us to all go. We need to step up. We need to deliver for our clients. We need to be ahead of them. We need to be helping them navigate what is you know a, a time that no one else has ever experienced and no one knows the way through. I think the consequence of that is we got to the end of the last year and there was just extreme burnout and exhaustion and fatigue. Um, we've done a lot and, you know, uh, it's probably the thing if you were to say, Ames, what keeps you up at night? It's the thing I worry about. I worry about the people are, have been running for 12 months. Um, we bring on another piece of business. We're trying to onboard that. It, it kind of keeps going. We've done heaps of stuff. So we've done all the things you'd expect from an engagement point of view. I mean, we were running last year a weekly survey on how's your, how is your mental health, how's your week at OMD been, two questions, and then we'd look to try and basically figure out where the pain points were by team. We'd lean into that extra resource support. Uh, we, uh, the executive team last year rang every staff member across the agency. It was 550 phone calls. Um, it was no small feat. At um, the moment with Victoria where we've got lockdown and we're checking in with the whole SLT, there's a daily stand-up to make sure that people are okay. And then all the new starters, I, mean, I sat through an hour this morning meeting 
the six new starters, media assistants and up, you know, because that's their first OMD experience is sitting in their lounge room and, and, yeah. that's not, and coming into a piece of business that's incredibly complicated to be building a sense of team. We want them to feel like that we've got their back and that we're there for them. Um, we've run heaps of cultural initiatives, live streams. I've done anonymous questions every fortnight for the year, ask anything you want, business updates. We've shared the financial results so that people are really clear on where the business is at and trying to just make people feel secure that, you know, it's okay, we're going to be all right and here's the transparency in that. Um, and we keep reinventing that, you know, we've done a massive diversity inclusion piece last year where we launched a new charter to kind of give people something else to be focused on outside of the sort of day-to-day. So as a host of initiatives, we keep rolling them out, we keep reinvigorating and looking at how we're looking after our people and it's just trying to keep your finger on the pulse so that you can pick up on when people are struggling and support them. Yeah, definitely. Um, and I just wanted to bring back um, that chat you had with Brit as well last year. Getting quoted a lot. <laughs> I think this is only the second time this interview, but it was it was a good piece. Um, one of no the things pressure. that stuck out for me, and I, I feel like this, this does well off the back of, of these questions, now we're talking about mental health and getting through COVID, but you said that, you know, your role last year was to get us through, but to get us through as a team intact. Yeah. Uh, do you reflect back on that and go, yes, I think I did that? Yeah, look, I felt a huge amount of responsibility last year. You know, I think I think when I spoke to Brit, I was, you know, fresh baby, trying to juggle all of that. I was still trying to get my head around what was going on and I knew that how I showed up would matter more than normal because people were looking for clarity, they were looking for hope and transparency. So I, I did my best to, you know, to get to get that right. I didn't get it right every time. I got quite a bit of feedback along the way to say, Ames, you didn't manage that well. But I, you know, course corrected. And look, we got through it as a team. You know, there's people probably a bit a bit um, a bit more exhausted than others and 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 we're trying to put an arm around those people and kind of help them through that next phase. But I, I feel like our leadership team stood up to the challenge of what last year was and, and delivered on our commitments to people. Do we get it right 100% of the time? No. And we never will. And that's kind of the human nature of us as leaders need to just own up when we're not getting it right. And I think we did that pretty well. Um, just bringing back to, I guess, Omnicom, OMD, all of the clients – uh, Omnicom has has a reputation, I, I think I can safely say, is one of the, the cleanest big networks when it comes to client transparency. H- how does OMD, I guess, balance that with, you know, the success continuing to make a decent profit? W- where does transparency sit in terms of your priorities? It's at the core of our proposition to clients, to our people and to the market. Uh, I fundamentally believe we are a business and we need to make money, but clients should know where we're making that money. And most clients I've had that conversation with lean into that respect and go, sure, you're a business partner, we're leaning on you for massive strategic input. Of course you should make money. But I think it, it's the transparency around where that is that counts. Um, it's it's one of the reasons I've stayed at OMD for nearly you know 10 years and a couple months. Um, and it's, I think, it's, you know, our ambition and positioning around performance with integrity and has a conscious tension. You know, performance is about that growth and drive and push and not settling for the status quo. But we talk about integrity as it kind of keeps us grounded in doing what's right. Um, and we, I, I think it's something we all believe in as a leadership team. And I think our people believe they can play a part in that. Yeah, definitely. That that belief is obviously a really important part of it. Um, and you mentioned before you've been in your role for a good few years now. Is there a succession plan in place? Look, I've got 
I would argue, the best leadership team in the country. Like they are exceptional people, humans, professionals. Like they've led OMD to where it is today. Like it's a true team effort. And when we get in a room and when we're working on something, there's not there's not a pair of hands that's not kind of lifting. So there's plenty of people who have the capability and potential to step into my role one day. There's no question about that. It's kind of who and when would be the... Um, and I love I love this business. I love this role. I, I won't walk away from that lightly. So, yeah, fair enough. And just looking to the rest of the year, um, you mentioned earlier that um, in Victoria, sorry, in Melbourne, the Vic government contract is a big priority there. Mm. Where are the other big priorities this year? Are you looking to shore up any particular clients or anything like that? Look, we've got a couple of things that are outstanding in the pipeline. Um, one in Sydney. One, oh, sorry, let me say that again. We've got a couple of things that are still outstanding in the pipeline, one in Melbourne, um, sort of a legacy one that we're still we're still working through, which we're feeling good about. And there's a couple in Brizzy that we're working through. Um, Melbourne's off the cards for new beers. It's kind of our real focus and we've got a massive plan, a lot of energy around make sure every client is looked after in that office. Like it's it, it's easy, easy to lose sight when you're kind of down the mine on something new. There's a bit of growth in Sydney there's a few global pieces happening a couple of pictures going on and I think look Brisbane Brisbane we've we've grown we've doubled the size of the Brisbane office in the last four years um, we see that as big growth potential the offering up there I think is quite unique in market uh, and we are yeah we're going hard after whatever we can find in Brisbane and Sydney yeah fantastic well Amy Buchanan thanks so much for joining me on the Mumbrella cast today thanks so much for having me And that's it for this week. But before we go... Mumbrella 360 Reimagined is only a month away. With three venues, four streams and the most forward-thinking industry leaders confirmed in the lineup, there will be plenty of content vying for your attention. The conference is your chance to reunite with the industry peers and hear from some of the most knowledgeable and inspirational media and marketing leaders that could help shape your strategy for the next year and beyond. Be sure to check out the full program now. Go to mumbrella.com.au forward slash mumbrella360. And that's a wrap for this week. Xander, Emma, Liv, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you, Damien. Thank you.